Thank you for tuning in. My prayer is that this message is going to be an encouragement to you personally and will cause great growth in your life. It's time to live and it's time to take this next step forward. God bless you as you listen. Hey, you know, I want you to stay standing because this is a, this is a moment I want us to capture and, and do something wonderful. Um, we, if you, if you missed announcements on social media this week, uh, there's a young man who's a part of our church, one of our City Life partners, he's in the Navy here, his name is Nick McLaughlin, and, uh, and he's, he found himself in a really, really tough situation. He plays in the band, he's usually on this platform, uh, very active in our church community, but on Christmas morning, <clears throat> this young man had a stroke. It was a result of a brain aneurysm, and um, on Christmas Day, surgeon told us that he had a 50% chance of making it out of surgery alive. That was Christmas. <laughs> um, we made it through Christmas Day. Thank God for that. I took this picture of him as soon as they brought him right back in. I, I took the picture for his parents so they could say, here's your son and he's alive, you know. But <clears throat> We got some good reports back. Um, he has remained in a lot of pain. The left side of his body is still paralyzed, and uh, he's regaining a little bit of feeling, but uh, we need a miracle there. Um, but yesterday, the doctor said the aneurysm is there again, and they're unable to go back into surgery this time because of, his brain, of the swelling in his brain from the previous surgery. His life hangs in the balance, we need a miracle. We need a miracle. Jake, one of our elders, uh, he asked if he could lead in prayer for Nick today. And I want us to agree in prayer. Pray a prayer of faith. You pray a prayer of faith, man. And uh, stretch your hands out toward the, just this picture right there. Let's pray for Nick. He knows we're praying for him right now. Come on, lead us in prayer. Lord God, your word says that where two or more gather, there you are. God, we gather Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Like Preston said earlier, you came that we might have life. The enemy came to steal and destroy. So, God, we stand for life. Yes, 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 yes. In Jesus' name. And I speak that healing over you. Yes, 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 in Jesus' name. Yeah. Yes, healing, 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 in Jesus' name, healing, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We don't meditate on all that's happening. Mm-hmm. We look forward to seeing the salvation of the Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Jake. 
you guys may be seated and get your Bibles open to the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 18. It's Matthew 16, 18. I was with Nick um, when he woke up from surgery on, on uh, Wednesday. And uh, fortunately, I was able to be there when his parents arrived. Uh, all I knew was one thing is I, is I, I want to be there when they wheel him in the room. I want to be there when he comes out of surgery alive. And it was, uh, it was wonderful even with his eyes still closed, unable to really not even know what was going on under a lot of medicine, as you can imagine. He heard my voice, and he began moving his hand, and uh, didn't quite know what he was doing at first, but I dug his hand out from underneath the the covers, and I just held onto his hand, and in just the slightest way, he gripped my hand, and I just stood there and prayed with him, prayed for him, and talked to him for the next hour till his mom and dad finally arrived. And it's a blessing to be able to hand him off to his parents, knowing that his church has been with him all day. Also, I'm grateful uh, for our, for elders Nick and Morgan Johnson. Uh, they they are housing. In fact, I think Nick was up here on the platform earlier, but. Uh, but they're ha- housing his mother, Linda McLaughlin, and his sister during this time. So very grateful. We're going to be watching out and taking care of the family while they're in town. Uh, this is what church is for, right? Yeah. It is. It is. It was on Christmas Day that, that evening when his parents told me, he said, now we understand why Nick loves this church so much. You guys really are like family to him. And... Uh, this is so cool, even going and visiting him early this morning. Uh, as soon as he heard my voice there in the room, he's, his eyes are open. He was able to communicate a little bit. And he just said, Pastor Tim, uh, tell me, how are we doing on our Expand 2020 goal? <laughs> that was the first thing he said right off the bat. His parents just laughed. And I said, well, yeah, here, here we are. And he said, praise God. I mean, I think, okay, oh, yeah. That's Nick. Yes. That's Nick. Um, I said, said, Nick, what, what can I tell the congregation from you? He said, Mer- tell them Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. And this is the man who had a stroke on Christmas Day. But he says, Merry Christmas to you. And uh, he also said, thank you for being such a good church family. He wants you to know that. He said, tell city lifers that you are the best church he has ever been a part of in his life. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. That's what the church is for. It's part of the purpose of the local church. But in today's culture, there are a lot of questions uh, regarding what church is about. A lot of people are doubting the value of the church. There are people in our culture who are saying Christianity is dying. How many of you have heard those types of of messages? Oh yeah, they're out there all over the place. Uh, Others simply think that the church is nothing more than just some stately building where religious people come and perform some kind of a religious obligation once a week. I just decided to come in here and be Daddy Tim today, all right? It's time to clear up a few things. Let's get a few things clear. 
I'm going to talk about Christianity and the church today. The title of my message is, You Are the Church. We're the church. It's not the building. The church is not some dead legalistic institution. No, it is people. You see, there's the worldwide church, which is the body of believers worldwide, and then there's also the local church. We use the same term for both local church, such as City Life Church right here. But I also will will let you know, hell is fighting the church. I saw a news article on Friday that highlighted the current persecution of Christians. The article was entitled this, ISIS beheads uh, 11 Christians on Christmas Day in a sick execution video. How many of you saw this in the media? That's what I thought, one person. American media will not cover this. This is from Britain. More Christians have been martyred in the last 100 years for their faith than in the entire history of Christianity since the very, very beginning. Hell doesn't like the church. No big deal though. I'm moving forward. Since the year 33 AD, the forces of hell have unsuccessfully fought against the advance of the church. Oh, I'm telling you, you, come on, you guys know a little bit of of world history. Can we talk a little bit about history here? Good, because 64 AD, there's this guy who rises to power in Rome. His name is Emperor Nero. How many of you have a friend named Nero? Nobody has a friend named Nero because nobody calls themselves Nero because that's a bad name. You call your dog Nero, all right? Emperor Nero rose to power in Rome and he began, he outlawed Christianity and he began burning Christians on the street as human torches. Over the next several years, a couple hundred years, really Christians began to be tortured all over the place with with Christianity made illegal. Their limbs were cut off, their eyes were gouged out. People paid a high price for being followers of Jesus, yet the church continued to expand. During that time, the Desert Fathers, they came into being. They set up these villages in the desert where people could come and they would spend months and sometimes even years, they would receive counseling and they would receive prayer for miracles and God did amazing things and these people were sent back out and the church grew and grew and grew in spite of the persecution as it does today. Today, there is a backlash in America. It doesn't quite look like what's, what's happening over there in the Middle East, but what's happening is Using incomplete data, this message is being propagated throughout America that Christianity is dying. And in my opinion, this is nothing more than what I will call a new term I just coined this this weekend. It's called psychological persecution of the church. That is false news. That is false news, and I have no problem identifying it. The respected, renowned Pew Research Center says, well, you can believe everything they say, right? Wrong. Because what they're actually doing is they're taking data from some of the old institutional dying denominational churches in America and saying, yep, that's it. Christianity's over with. Look at that. Look at that. Ridiculous. I, I, I'm fired up today. I want to make myself very, very, very clear. The church is not declining. The church is not dying. And the church is not getting weaker. And I am done with the psychological persecution of the church. I'll tell you a little bit of truth here. 1,987 years ago, 120 people were present at a little prayer gathering in the city of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And that's where the church of Jesus Christ was formed. And, And since that day, 
day. It's just continued to expand and grow and grow and grow. Thousands of people began coming to Christ on that very day. Finally, by the year 1910, it was estimated that the number of Christians worldwide, 1910, was 600 million. Wow. Today, there are approximately 2.4 billion Christians in the church worldwide. In other words, one in three people in the world are followers of Jesus. It is believed that by the year 2050, that number is estimated to be close to 3 billion people in the church. I don't care what anybody else is trying to feed you guys, but you need to be wise to the truth. These, you can't really trust media anymore, so let's just talk about the truth. Christianity is by far the most prevalent religion in the world today, and it continues to grow in a huge way. In fact, the greatest growth is, is in Christianity is within the spirit-filled, Pentecostal, charismatic, and non-denominational churches like ours. See, it's churches that simply believe this. We believe that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and when we get together, it becomes a powerhouse of ministry, and we are also a powerhouse from God out on our cultural streets. I was kind of excited recently when I found this article put out by the Federalist magazine. They published this article. Take a look at this. It says, New Harvard Research. Okay, grabs my eyes like, okay, what are they going to say now? Oh, but wait, read it, read it. This is great. I like this. New Harvard research says that U.S. Christianity is not shrinking, but it's growing stronger. They ask the question in this article, it asks, is church going and religious adherence really in widespread decline? Quoting other news sources. So much that conservative believers are suffering growing anxiety. That's what the, that's what the, uh, the rest of the media is saying. You have growing anxiety. <laughs> they say absolutely not. Look it up, read that article on your own. Christianity has shaped and will continue to shape the face of America. Dr. Rodney Stark, he authored a fantastic book called America's Blessings, How Religion Benefits Everyone, Including Atheists. I like that title. I want to give you, can I give you some quotes from his book? Hear what this researcher said. He points out that Christians are really actually the ones in the United States of America who are carrying the beneficial activity, the load of the bulk of the beneficial activity in our nation. He writes these words, and I quote, Christians dominate the ranks of blood donors to whom some angry humanists owe their lives. Christians, I quote, are far more likely to contribute even to secular charities and to volunteer their time to socially beneficial programs and to be active in civic affairs. I quote, he says, Christians enjoy superior mental health (laughs) and are happier, less neurotic, and far less likely to commit suicide. I'll quote him again. He says, Christians who attend church are far less likely to have dropped out of school, which is especially true among African Americans and Hispanics. People who enjoy church, he says, they enjoy superior physical health, having an average life expectancy more than seven years longer than that of the irreligious. I'll give you another quote. I know you're asking for more. Here's more. Christians, he says, are more apt to marry and less likely to divorce and express a higher degree of satisfaction with their spouses, and they are more likely to have children. 
He goes on to say, and grandchildren, thank God. He didn't say that, but I, I say that. Christians, he says, Christian husbands are substantially less likely to abuse their wives and their children. Students who attend church perform better on standardized achievement tests. He says Christians are more successful obtaining better jobs and are far less subject to being on unemployment or welfare. And this is true not only for whites, but also for African Americans. All right, now let's take a look at what the Bible says. Matthew chapter number 16, verse 18. Get that open because I tell you guys, I love the church. I love the church because people find freedom in the family, in the local church. The church is vibrant, it's alive, it's growing, and it is highly effective. Matthew 16, 18, quote these famous words of Jesus Christ. He says it here. He said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Oh, come on. Let, let me tell you what it says in the message version of the Bible. I like this. He, he says, I will put my church together. And the, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. In other words, there is no force in hell, whether it's in the media or it's in the Middle East or wherever, that will be able to stop the growth of the church. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who just don't care about the church. Uh, and due to today's what I call psychological persecution, uh, many actually wrongly believe that you are a plague on society. And I like to point out your imperfections. And I'm, sure, I'm just sure the church isn't perfect. It's filled with flawed people, all of you. You looked at yourself in the mirror this morning. You saw a flaw. That's right. That's right. Okay, good. Now, now that we got that done with, let's move on. The church, though, it's potent. You see, I know that because the little church my dad pastored in Randall, Washington, went to prayer when my mom was delivering me after the doctor told my dad he needed to make a choice whether his wife was going to live or whether his child was going to live. And my dad said both, and the church is going to prayer to make sure that happens. I wasn't born in a hospital, just a little doctor's house out in a little logging town in central Washington. And I grew up in a pastor's home. Let me just tell you something. Some of you are pastor's kids, so you get this. I have seen the best and the worst of the church. Yeah, you get, you, you get to have this unique perspective as a pastor's kid. But I love the church. I, I grew up in a rather legalistic church environment where a lot of times people pointed out one another's flaws. That was kind of commonplace. But I'm not critical of that because that's my heritage. A lot of that I can actually laugh at now. God pulled me through it. I, I eventually became less concerned about other people's flaws and religious quirks, and I became obsessed with something else. I became obsessed with Jesus and growing myself and allowing the Holy Spirit to fix me, and that's really what the church does. I love the church, guys. This is right where I belong. I say, but you're the pastor. I know, but you know what? This is where I belong because church challenges me. I, 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 a church challenges me and I'm the, I'm the pastor. A church refresh, refreshes me. I'm the pastor. Why? It's because Jesus Christ is the center of everything that we do. I love what Jesus said. He just says, come to me. Look, look at what he said in the scriptures. He said, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Jesus said, come to me. See, that's what the church says. 
He says, get away with me and you'll recover your life and I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. He says, keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Yes, that's Jesus the head of the church. Jesus is the one that makes all this work. He's the reason why we have hope and freedom in this place. This is his church. Therefore, you can grow here. You can soar here. And you will be challenged here. I also want to tell you, church is not an obligation. No, no, you don't have to go to church. Get that out of your vocabulary. You do not have to go to church. I don't have to go to church. I get to. I get to go to church. And you might say, well, you know, the church is this building. Well, no, it's not. The church is not the building. The church is you. The church is you. 1,987 years ago, a man named Jesus Christ came back from the dead. He came back and he turned the world upside down. How in the world did that happen? It's because people's lives began changing and it spread like wildfire. And the church has been growing steadily ever since. The church is the largest single movement in the history of the world and currently in this world is the largest single movement. You are a part of something huge. Now, some of you who are younger, your, your, your grandchildren may not know who Tim Woody was, and they probably won't even care. And neither will I, because you know, I'll be with Jesus. But you know what? The church will be here in the future. And the gospel will still be true to them and relevant to their lives just like it is for us. And church, it's not about coming together with some kind of, of an intellectual agreement on everything. I mean, let's be real. I don't even agree with myself all the time. <laughs> like, does Rebecca agree with me on everything? You, you usually do, right? Yeah, but you know what? We, we, sometimes we have disagreements. Like, I want to go to Joti Garcia's and have me some Mexican food. And she wants to go stand out there outside at Taqueria Melis and, and, and have, the, have Mexican food, the two opposite extremes in Fort Worth. But we stay in our marriage, right? Yeah. <laughs> I still want some Joti's. Thank you, sweetheart. See, what's most important is how much you and I allow God to impact and to change our lives. You know, as City Life, another thing about us is we don't pick on other Christian traditions that may emphasize something that we don't emphasize quite as much. We don't do that here. Have you noticed? I'm not gonna, you're not gonna hear me up here attacking other preachers. We don't attack other churches. Hopefully you don't either. If you are, then stop it. Why in the world are you gonna mock and beat up your own family? I don't do that in my family, and we are the family of God. And then I started thinking about this. Why would any Christian in their right mind persecute the church from within the church? That is is insanity right there. No, we are bound together because God is in us and we are family. Church, it's a place where it's okay to not be okay. But there's gonna be a challenge around here because it's not okay just to stay that way. 
because we speak truth from the Bible. And it's not my job to make you feel good. But on the other hand, it's not my job to make you feel bad regarding where you are on your spiritual journey. It just isn't. My job is to teach truth. And then the Holy Spirit is released to do the rest. So if you're struggling, the truth is the church is the ideal place to be. It's the ideal place to come to the front during worship and ask someone to pray for you and, 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 and expect a miracle in your life. And nobody at this church is going to judge you. You're going to be encouraged. This is a place where God speaks and where we listen and we apply and we do what God says. And some of you need to take this, this, go and find this on our podcast, and you need to take it and listen to it again, and you need to give it to a few people. Because church is a place where our lives experience freedom. It's where we find hope during the process of God working in us. The church is a place of grace, and it's a place of truth. And yeah, the truth does hurt sometimes. In fact, it stings, it convicts. However, at the same time, truth is giving us freedom, and it's giving us hope and inspiration and encouragement, and the truth does feel good. But, but, but don't, don't allow insecurities or past wounds to become a filter through which you see the church. If you, if you let go of your past hurts from the church, church will become a wonderful place. I did that and it worked. There's only one organization that's gonna last from today and into eternity and that is the church. There's no government, there is no business, there is no nonprofit that has ever lasted as long as the church and, and, and never will. Church is the place where lost people are found, where found people grow to love Jesus more. Church is the place where addicts are set free. It's where the excluded are included. It's where the hopeless find hope. It's where marriages are restored. It's where forgiveness is extended. It's where people are healed. People are set free here. This is a place where God gets the glory for all. It's church. You know, I I love going home after a long day. I do. Why do I love going home? Because it's just my place. It is. And, and I'm free to be me at home. I, can, I just get to be me. Home is a place of peace. It's a place where I can unwind and be relaxed and kick back. And, and the thing is, at home, I don't have to impress anybody. In fact, even if I tried, it wouldn't work. Nobody's going to be impressed with me at home. I love it. It's a place where I can walk into the kitchen and grab a sandwich if I'm hungry. I get to come in the back door. I can laugh. I can let down. I can enjoy it. And that's how city life is and that's how I want us to continue to be and become even more because you get to be normal here you know, one of the questions though I hear a lot and I mentioned this before but it definitely bears repeating is why doesn't the church do more in the community I hear it a lot and it is a very very misguided question I'll tell you why See, the way I respond is this. I just, I just say this. The most important thing the church can do is to actually do church. That is the most important thing we can do. Church as I'm describing it. 
which is to provide a great place for families to come together and you can bring your children, you can experience God with God's larger family. Because at church, we're gonna deal with the real life issues. At church, we're gonna talk about marriage and we're going to talk about stress. At church, we're gonna talk about your, uh, how to have personal interactions and make them more healthy and, and how to become a more forgiving person and how to love more. At church, we're gonna deal with issues and we do with issue, issues such as worry and fear and depression. At church, we actually teach people how to stay married and to not abuse their children. At church, we give people the hope for eternity as well, and we get to encounter the presence of Almighty God together. At church, people are set free from spiritual and emotional bondage through the power of the Holy Spirit, guys. At church, healthy community happens because we come together and we build each other up, not tear each other down. And I'll tell you this much, churches must never ever lose the focus of what the best thing is that they do and what they bring to the community. Yeah, our our focus is not to promote a new diet plan or to give you a business model or some kind of a stage show. You know what, there are plenty of voices out there that's doing that already. You see, the church deals with soul issues. The, The church deals with spiritual issues that transcend everything. The work of the church prevents a society from imploding and you can study other cultures and see exactly what I'm saying is correct. People come to our church and they hear about Jesus and they adopt a new way of life. Story after story after story. They become different people. They discover their purpose and they begin to flourish in the community on their cultural street. So guys, this is not just another nonprofit, as wonderful as nonprofits are. I'm all for them. Some of you run nonprofits. I'm happy for you. I am. But here's the truth nonprofits come and go. But here's the fact the church has been around for 1,987 years and it continues to grow. Yeah, one of the terrible things I also hear about the church is that. Well, all churches want is they, they, they just want something from you. Well, actually, that's laughable. It's so untrue about the church. I'll tell you who wants something from you. Ford, you try not paying your payments, watch what they do to your car. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I, AT&T, they are going to drop your phone. You, you don't pay that bill, they want something from you. You had better do it or you're in big, big stinking trouble. What? That's who's wanting something from you. And, and we don't criticize them for that. Oh, no. But around here, you, you, you can come and you can go and you can receive and enjoy the presence of God and receive prayer and healing and the word of God and you can never give an offering ever. That's your loss because you're not investing back into it. But you know what? No one's gonna require that. Oh, hey, here's the deal. And if you're critical of the church, you try running your business by those same principles and we'll see how long you stay in business. But the church has been around for 1,987 years following these same principles. The church is a powerful family and that's why. And God dwells within the church because the church is you. So Paul says this, he, he says, so don't allow ourselves to become fatigued at doing good. Because he says this, at the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, 
Catch this, starting with the people who are closest to us in the community of faith. Yes, the church takes care of its own. We take care of the community of faith first. That's why we're taking care of Nick McLaughlin, who's out here in the Navy all by himself. We are his family. And then when we do that, we then become strong enough and healthy enough to serve the community and to serve the world. Actually, it's always been that way for the church. That's the way it was designed. You might say, well, what has the church really provided society other than just churches? Is that what you asked me? Did you guys just ask me that question? I'm glad you did. Well, the church actually gave us health care and education. Oh, yes, the church did. The church is actually still today the single, by far the single, I just went over to a hospital named after a church. How many of you have been to a hospital named after a church? Okay, good, that's what I thought. The church gives us health care. The church is the largest, largest single provider of health care and education in the world. In fact, the church works especially in the poorest countries where there is nothing else other than Christian health care. In fact, Camilla Stelis, who was the founder of the Red Cross, the original founder, she established the Red Cross. There's a reason why it's a cross as a group of Christians to minister to the sick during the bubonic plague. And these Christians would do what no one else would do. Others ran from the plague, the Christians ran to it. The first orphanages, they were established in the high middle ages, but it was the church that did it to take in the abandoned children off the street. You guys like history? (laughs) Hey, the church gave us the Magna Carta. It did. It is, a, it is actually considered to be probably one of the most popular documents in human history. And it was drafted by a man by the name of Stephen Langdon, the Archbishop of Canterbury in England. In fact, the biblical foundation of the UN Declaration, United Nations Declaration on Human Rights comes from the Magna Carta, the church. <laughs> You didn't even know the church was influencing the UN. Who would know? Hey, the church gave us Reverend Martin, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He drove the civil rights movement. He was the son and the grandson of an ordained minister. The church gave us Habitat for Humanity, providing housing for the poor. It was founded by a person by the name of Millard Fuller, and it was established as a way for Christians to practically show God's love. We need more people out there creating things like that. Some of you are doing that right now. The church gave us public libraries. Oh, yes, they did. <laughs> Do your research. They're the ones who gave it to us in Western society. It grew out of this insistence that all people should be able to read, which then kind of gives us a bigger picture of this whole issue of the church actually gave us literacy in the United States of America. It did. Literacy is rooted in the very first law that was passed on American soil. Law number one, law number one, enacted on American soil was something called the Old Deluder Satan Act. So you remember that from history? Maybe they didn't teach it to you. That was the first law in America. The law said this. The church says if people can't read, then they will be very open to delusion from Satan. So they established literacy programs forced by law. Thank you very much. 
Christians. The church gave us foster care, came out of the uh, orphan train movement and the Children's Aid Society. Both were actually ministries of the church. The church gave us the anti-slavery movement. It was not a political party. (laughs) It didn't even, it, it, it actually came from the church. It stamped out slavery in the United States as well as in England. It was started by a man who got on fire for Jesus and his name was William Wilberforce. Look at his story. Uh, also, by the way, he also established the very first organization that dealt with cruelty to animals came right out of the church. The church gave us the university system. Do you realize that 100 out of the first 110 uh, universities initially started in the United States were started as Christian ministries? The church gave us Alcoholics Anonymous, which helps 2 million people a year. It was launched by a Christian Oxford group. The co-founder, Dr. Bob Smith, he said that Alcoholics Anonymous Foundation came from their own study of the Bible and realized this will work. (laughs) The church gave us Amnesty International, bringing justice and liberty to oppressed people all over the world. It was started by two Christians, Peter Benesak and Eric Baker. They were inspired by Jesus to make a difference in this world and to get out on their cultural street and do it. I love it. Do you realize that recent research says this? Catch the statistic. 81% of evangelical Christians like yourself do some kind of volunteer work at least once a month. Some kind of volunteer work. Do you know what that percentage looks like across America as a whole? 26% of the entire U.S. uh, population. There's something about being an evangelical Christian. You know what? The list could go on and on. I could actually stay up here and talk like this for a couple hours, giving you example after example and letting you go home and do the research to try to prove me wrong and you won't be able to. Because I've done my research. Hey guys, the church is alive and well. And it is a huge blessing to society. Yeah, but there was a preacher who wasn't perfect once. Well, of course. (laughs) You aren't either. The church is filled with sinners saved by grace. Everyone on this platform is a sinner saved by grace. That includes you as well. But the deal is Jesus died for us, the church. And because of that, we are a part of something flat out amazing orchestrated by God. So your life counts. God says this to you. He says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future, Jeremiah 29, 11. God wants to break chains of darkness in your life. He wants to partner with you. God wants to partner with you to break the chains that are in other people's lives through you. The power of the Holy Spirit in you. You are the church. And the gates of hell will not overcome the church. Will you please stand with me? Stand with me all across this room. Because I want to challenge you as we are near the end of this year, moving into a new decade, a new year. Are you ready and are you willing to stand up for the cause of Christ and the local church as well as the worldwide church? to stand strong, not be intimidated by misinformation, but to stand strong, know who you are, and be full of God. If that's who you are and that's what you want, when we begin singing this song, I want you guys just to actually come forward and fill up the front here, because we're going to pray together, we're going to sing together, and we're just, we're going to inspire one another in the presence of God. So as we begin singing, 
If you simply want to make your stand, step out of your seat and say, you know what? I'm a part of the church. I mean, you may not be a part of this church. I don't care. I mean, I, I'm a part of this, the, the church of Jesus Christ, and I care, and I am going to make myself known in this generation. Please come now as we begin singing. Come on, guys. Power of God. Have you discovered your street of influence? Whether it be family, government, business, arts and entertainment, faith, health and vitality, or education, head over to culturalstreets.com and discover your street today.